Hold me down, Lord, that I may uplift thee. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. A few years ago, I started experimenting, experimenting with calling myself middle-aged. I wanted to practice getting used to the idea that I am in the middle of life, that I probably have fewer years ahead of me than, than behind me. I thought it would help me put things in perspective. But whenever I'd refer to myself as middle-aged, people would say, you're not middle-aged, you're still young. But I would reply, I'm in my mid-40s. How long do you think I'm gonna live? But in a time when we say things like 60 is the new 40 and we're encouraged to always think about what's next, what's new, how we can keep improving ourselves, Admitting that we're halfway through life can be, well, kind of a bummer. Though we do new things and we can continue to grow and change, I hope we do throughout our lives, let's be honest. Middle age is the time not for striving, for achieving more and more and more, for acquiring more and more and more, rather, it is the time to ask the big existential questions. What is life about? What is my life for? Does my life have meaning? These are the questions we ask when we start to really know that life is finite, that the years pass quickly and then we are gone. And so the psalmist today prays, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. First, we must accept that our days are numbered, not endless. For only then can we truly understand what is important, valuable. Yet we resist this knowledge with every fiber of our being, which is why the psalmist asks God to teach us to number our days. For we would rather flit from new thing to new thing, continue climbing the ladder of success, always striving, thinking that our days are endless, that there is always a tomorrow to begin again and again. Tomorrow to improve our health. Tomorrow to get our, our affairs in order. Tomorrow to reconcile with our estranged friends or family. But our hearts, not our minds, our hearts need to learn wisdom. Our hearts must become wise in how to live well, being softened into compassion and mercy as it starts to become clear that all we've accumulated during the first half of our lives will not provide meaning, will not protect us as we lose those we love to death as we ourselves lose health or wealth or position. We ask the big existential questions when what we have or where we are, no matter how good, 
when those things don't answer our new questions. And I wonder what questions you are asking these days. For it's not only middle age that forces us to ask these questions. Anyone who has faced loss, who realizes that this can't last forever, must wonder what it's all about. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. I think the rich man in the gospel today knew this. He's a devout man, surely deeply schooled in the Psalms. He's rich and he is righteous, having kept the law his whole life, yet he is counting his days, seeking to nurture a wise heart. For although his life is, is as successful as anyone could ask for, he seems to be pursued by a niggling worry that there must be something more that this can't be all there is. His heart is still longing for something, so he comes earnestly, openly to ask this traveling rabbi Jesus how he might inherit eternal life. First, an aside, eternal life here is not going to heaven after he dies. Rather, he is asking how he might participate in the new age to come, the one that will be ushered in when God completely rules a world of equity and justice. He wants to be sure that he will be there. And though he has done all he was supposed to do, he suspects something, something is missing. And in the moment that he asks this sincere, open question, he finds that he meets the living word of God in Jesus Christ, the one the author of Hebrews talks about, which is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, like a surgeon's scalpel. It divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. For Jesus takes him seriously. He looks deeply into this man after inquiring if he's kept the law, making sure that he hasn't gained wealth by harming others. And then Jesus diagnoses what he really needs. Get rid of everything that keeps you separate from other people. Join in solidarity with the poor. Sell it all, give up power and position and privilege, and then follow me. The rich man comes asking the big questions, asking for meaning, and like a surgeon, Jesus skillfully lays open this man's heart, diagnosing what the problem is and then prescribing the solution. Jesus sees the man's success and he knows that the only way to enter the kingdom of God, the one that is starting right now, not something that will happen later, the only way to enter that kingdom is to become small. The man, we, cannot buy the kingdom. We cannot earn it. The rich man is shocked by this pronouncement. His heart is filled with longing, a sense that all is not right in his life, but he cannot allow his heart to take in this kind of wisdom. 
So he goes away grieving, for he cannot let go yet. And then Jesus doubles down on his message, saying to his disciples, Children, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone rich to enter the kingdom of God. And now Jesus isn't just talking about the man. He's talking about all of us. Now this is about the time when preachers start to get weaselly with this gospel. They'll soften what Jesus is saying by telling you that the eye of the needle was the name of a gate in Jerusalem that camels could get through just by taking off some of their stuff and slouching through. I know you've heard that sermon. That fiction was made up in the Middle Ages, by the way, because they couldn't take this gospel either. There is no gate in Jerusalem like that. Or some preachers will tell you that the word for camel is nearly identical to the one for rope, which might have some hope of going through a needle's eye. Also hogwash. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to say that what Jesus is saying is exactly as hard as it sounds. If we wish to enter the kingdom of God, we've got to wrestle with, well, our stuff, our money, our possessions, our positions, whatever gives us power, whatever keeps us from being in solidarity with those who are the oppressed, the poor, those on the margins, and whatever gives us the illusion that we are in charge of our own lives. The answer to our existential questions is not do more or buy more or get your life together through a variety of life hacks and time management skills. The answer isn't to gain more control over your life, it's to give up all control of your life. This is shocking news. It's not what the rich man nor the disciples nor I and probably you expect as the answer to our big questions in life. I don't know about you, but I want to program, I want to process something to do. But what Jesus is saying here is that we can't know or enter the kingdom by knowing or doing more. We can only enter by stripping down, way down, so that we are bare naked, powerless. This is the story that converted St. Francis of Assisi to give away all that he had, stripping down naked, literally in the middle of town, to show that he was in communion with the one God loves, the poor, the vulnerable children, and utterly reliant upon God. The story calls us, too, to face what really matters to us, to lay open our hearts to, to the living, active word of God, the surgeon's scalpel that judges the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, naked and bare to the eyes of God. When we ask, what's it all about, or how can I lead a meaningful life, or how can I follow and know God, we're being sincere. God takes us seriously, just as Jesus took the rich man seriously. God will look into our hearts, diagnose our ills, invite us to follow. We want to know. 
We long for meaning, but when we get the answer, we might, we might, like the rich man, walk away. This is a hard gospel. We might long for our hearts to be wise, but we might not be ready to be told that we must let go. We must be ready to lose everything in order to win. We must give up power and pride and position, and yes, yes, our possessions, all that give us illusion of control if we wish to enter the kingdom of God, we must become like children. I don't know how to make this easier to swallow. I don't know how to make our hearts wise. But I will offer you these consolations. In the reading from Hebrews, we hear of the living word of God, Jesus, who is sharp, able to thinly slice through our hearts intentions and thoughts. But that word, the great high priest, sympathizes, feels with our weaknesses, knows all that we face in life, all the struggles we have. He is not looking coldly at us as he uses the scalpel, but loving us. We know that what is impossible for us is somehow possible for God, as Jesus says to Peter. And we know that after the rich man asks Jesus his question and tells him of his faithful life, Jesus looks at him. He looks at him. And he loves him. It's the only place in Mark where it talks about Jesus loving someone. He loves him before he tells him that he lacks one thing. Go sell all, give the money to the poor, then come follow me. Jesus isn't being a jerk. Jesus loves this man, loves us, so he tells the truth. And he loves the man, loves us enough to let us walk away. When we go to God with our deep questions, our existential struggles, we are seen, known, and loved. But God loves us enough to tell the truth about what ails us. Loves us enough to prescribe the remedy. Loves us enough to let us choose for ourselves. We might walk away just as the rich man did. But one day, one day when we see that we can't hold on forever, that no matter what our losses are going to mount up, one day after our 70 or our 80 or our 90 years, all will be taken from us. And then one day, we might be willing to follow the one who became poor and vulnerable for us. First as a child, and then on a cross. And then we will become poor and vulnerable like children ourselves. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.